When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Parachuting, did you? Parachuting? What do you mean? Just come from uh, come from army training. Oh, you're referring to my boiler suit. Yes. You think I look military today? A little bit. There's a touch of the Private Benjamin to you. Why, thank you very much. <laughs> I couldn't get any greater compliment. Thank you so much. But it's a boiler suit. So you've been servicing yeah. a boiler? What's, working just, at the power station? Jeff is fashion. You've been welding? <laughs> Uh, it's not even fashion anymore. It's just really comfortable. It looks it. It's, it's very roo- it's very roomy, very airy, very comfortable. Good for the summer is what I'm saying. I'm only uh I'm I'm only jealous. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm. I'm jealous. Yeah. Did you ever fall for that? No, cause nobody does, do they? I don't know. I think some people do. Oh. I know. I think it's so nice if you believe your parents if you, you have such unfaltering belief in anything your parents say that if some kids were to bully you and then your parents said it's only because they're jealous Mm. that you would actually believe them wouldn't that be just a lovely relationship to have with your parents (laughs) yeah they must be jealous Mm, yeah maybe yes yes (laughs) like no kid who was bullying me was jealous because i had ginger hair and freckles (laughs) i wish i was myopic and i had to wear glasses as well (laughs) I wish I was terrible at sports. I mean, oh. where does there must be something better you can say to a kid? Like what? Have you thought about you know? No, what you but might I need say? to. I need to. Mm. Actually, I'll go straight in with this. Then it was sports day. It was Jean's first sports day. Right. Yes. This week, mm. and it was very triggering for me. Ah, because you didn't have a very good sports day as a child. I'm guessing. I don't get. You know, might be wrong here. I was, I was terrible. Okay. Okay. My wife is somebody for whom her childhood is like a bunch of video files that she can access at any time. She just remembers stuff from her childhood. Mm -hmm. Pretty much any memory that I have of being a child is linked to some uncomfortable feeling that lives with me in adulthood. Right. That sounds quite bad. Okay. I mean, they've got this other thing where going that I've got going on at the moment where I'm not really sure if I've got any actual memories anymore. 
it's more that I just know stuff happened, like I know the Second World War happened or <laughs> the, <laughs> the Battle of Hastings. I don't know if I can access an actual memory anymore. But the the point being, so when you say to me, Sports Day, I have an associated memory, mm-hmm. and that is I was unsurprisingly bad at that at school, but so bad that I would lag so far behind the other children that I remember, it's one of my earliest emotional memories, is hearing other people's parents and teachers clapping and cheering my name and understanding that I was being patronised. Oh, so young to realise Yeah, that. and I could have only been five or six or something. Oh. And what they were doing was kind. Mm. But in my head, I just remember feeling horribly, horribly embarrassed oh. because I knew that it wasn't deserved. Mm. It was pity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just trying to encourage you to yeah. feel better. Yeah. Oh. When in actual fact, the, the best thing I think for me would have been this this is never going to be a thing for you, this sports day. Like, why don't you go and sit in the library? They should have all just turned their backs and ignored you and let you just finish. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how um, did the dad's race go then? Well, well, um, fortunately, there was no parents race. Oh. And the great thing was mm. it was a sports day with no competitive element. I mean, there, was, there were races, right. but nobody was proclaimed a winner. And even though they were split into teams, there was never any suggestion that any team had done better than any other team. Okay, okay. And, and did that work okay? Yeah, so Jean was kind of very much my son. Right. I saw a lot of myself in his performance on Sports Day. Okay. Do they still do the egg and spoon race? Yes, yeah, that went particularly poorly. Well, it's difficult. Sack race? Also went poorly. Oh, three-legged? They didn't have a three-legged race. That was my only sports day triumph. Oh, that that was one thing you were good at. I wouldn't say that was good at it. Oh, right, right. So when I was nine, I was in the three-legged race with Louise Bradley, who was very athletic, and we won. And given just the fact that I not only came last in every other race ever, but a long way behind the other kids, can't help but thinking that Louise Bradley was maybe doing the, the... Lion's share of the work in that. Was she literally I was being dragged along. Yeah. <laughs> Were you on the floor? She just pulled you. <laughs> um, but the heartbreaking thing about that is, so my mum would come to Sports Day every single year without fail and cheer me on. And that year she wasn't there. No. So she missed your moment of glory of mm-hmm. being dragged to the win- winning finish. Maybe oh. I'm lying about it. I'm not lying about it. Oh, she phoned oh. the school and they said Sports Day had been rained off. So she didn't come and then they decided to have it indoors instead. Oh, no. So I wasn't dragged along a field, I was dragged along a hall. Oh. <laughs> um, maybe that's your surface. Maybe, yeah. although... You I know wasn't... how like tennis players, like some are better yeah. on brass, some are better on that other yeah. thing, clay, is it? I don't know. <laughs> although I am only good at being dragged along by somebody else on that surface. It's Bruh. not like the surface helped in any other aspect of yes. my perform- yeah, performances. Okay. So, so Jean was very much uh, my son, and, and I've done something. Okay. I made a lot of videos. Right. And instead of then showing him the videos, mm. I edited them together in a way <laughs> that perhaps makes it look like he, uh, he he did better than he did. What do you mean? Like you superimposed him onto the, the finish line as the first person? Or? No, it was just like lots of action shots of him running yeah with none of the revealed 
perspective uh, that he was a, oh, yeah, behind yeah. other kids. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That's lovely. Oh, that's nice. So, so he feels maybe he it. won't. I thought, how can I? All, all I'm trying to do as a parent yeah. is make his childhood memories less painful than mine. <laughs> uh, to edit it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the Literally. tool I've got at my disposal. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing that I did throughout the whole of Sports Day. This is his, not mine. We're back in 2021 now. Okay. I wore a mask throughout, a face mask. Oh, yeah. Because they sent a letter from school. The sports day itself was in the local park, and it was, uh, uh, you could arrive, we'll be arriving around this time, if you want to make sure you're there by then. Parents, because of the relaxation of social distancing rules, you can come along and watch. Um, you can eat lunch with your kid. But um, we do ask that parents wear face masks. Okay. So I get there and I've got my mask on. Nobody is wearing one. What? Not a single other parent. It's a bit naughty. Almost like they thought the schools put this in the letter because they have to. But uh, we all understand that no one's wearing face masks, masks in the park in the, and outdoor yeah. transmission isn't really a thing. But mm. I kept mine on throughout. Mm. Two reasons. Mm. One, I felt it perhaps made people less likely to... Three reasons, in fact, actually, now I think about it. Mm. One is that I feel it perhaps would make other parents less likely to talk to me. Right. Secondly, this was an accidental reason, but it, it turned out to be uh, a bit of a godsend. Mm. I think it hid a lot of the expressions <laughs> of trauma and pain being oh. triggered watching it. Okay. And then the third reason is I'm so desperate for the teachers especially this one teacher who has a real firm but fair quality to her. I was so desperate for her to have me down as a, somebody who follows the rules. The good guy. I'm so desperate to be liked by those teachers. Oh, you are. So you wore your mask throughout. No, no, no one did. No one put them on no, like when me, the teacher yeah. came. Wow. Not only that, but I uh, sanitised the apple before I gave it to her. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, we uh, we put out a bit of a plea, didn't we, to drifters, mm. saying, please restock our pantry of delicious tales. These, these aren't, this wasn't a good metaphor. <laughs> keep going, keep Why? going. Restock our pantry of pies baked with filling stories of social awkwardness. Yep. A terrible yeah. metaphor. Fine, I don't mind. Do pies no even go cares. to pantry? They probably do. Yeah. Go on. Go on what? So how did it go? Did did we hear from people? Did did people heed the call is what I'm asking. Shall I tell you what I think about drifters? Yeah. They are the best. They are the best. They're the best. We know this. And I had to get an extra day's childcare just to go through the emails. I mean, I'm joking. But anyway, there were a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot. Thank you. That's great. So and, nice. And um, if, if we could have more, that'd be good. Always. Because we get through them quick. They're so good. And there were ones where this city started off with... Um, I wouldn't normally have sent this in since nothing much, but like seeing as you wanted it. And it'd just be like this really great email. So, you know, if, if you're thinking that, send it anyway. It's probably These much better than These people aren't showboats. No, no. Self-deprecating. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Well, that that, uh, that makes me happy. Yes. But I'm going to start. We've just, just got one, actually, because it's extremely long, but I don't care because it is from Lee. 
uh, known mostly, I think, for the murder mystery party, but for many other things as well. Prince is the one that springs right, immediately right. to mind. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay, so here it is from Lee. At the very beginning of lockdown, when binging Tiger King, moaning about the flower shortage, judging people stockpiling bog roll as you built an igloo out of your own supply and trying to avoid eye contact with your neighbours whilst banging a saucepan in the street became more the range, I discovered the Adrift podcast. I knew as I ploughed my way through the episodes, listening to dozens of wonderful stories of social shortfall, that I had a terrible, seemingly inaccessible tale deep within me. Over the last year or so, I've shared a few events, but knew if I raked through the darker corners and the lower quadrant of my subconscious, (laughs) there would be a trap door. Under this trap door is stored a tale. It is time. I'm unlocking the door. I'm facing the chilling fact this happened the most humiliating 48 hours of my life. Uh, You know that gif of Jon Stewart settling in and eating popcorn, ready to hear? I mean, that's how I feel right now. Yeah. I must offer two apologies to kick off. Firstly, I'm sorry if this is very long. And also, sorry to your international or young listeners, as this involves a collection of British celebrities. You may need the assistance of Siri here. (gasps) Years ago, I was freelancing, working for interiors magazines. I was employed as a designer to do budget room makeovers and the like. A scary editor from a magazine I had a regular feature with called and, in a tone that was more an order than a request, said, I had a call from the BBC who were looking for someone to do craft demos on telly. It's good for the magazine. I said you would do it. 80% of the time, I am a common or garden drifter. For example, recently, to avoid waving at a neighbour, I crossed the street, avoiding looking in his direction, which was also the direction of oncoming traffic. So I'm total drifter. Death or a quick wave, sir? I'll take death, please. (laughs) The problem is I have brief moments of not being a drifter at all and agree to all sorts, which is then up to my dominant drifter side to haplessly mop up and deal with. I feel you're describing my career, though. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. So for a while, I was quite flattered to be put forward and thought, how bad can it be? I wonder what other monumentally horrific events started with that optimistic chant. I soon received a call from a TV researcher, an upbeat man called Connor. He explained he wanted to book me to do two demonstrations on The Generation Game on primetime BBC One Saturday night. Wow. The demos had to be something that could be done in less than a minute and that is open for the contestants to balls up to create hilarity. I was quite excited. I only knew the show from my childhood some decades earlier in the 1970s. I thought it would be all Brucey in an orange tweed blazer or Larry in a powder blue safari suit. It would be a charming mix of plate spinning, Morris dancers, Bernie Winters bringing on a slobbery schnorbitz. This could actually be fun. I met with Connor, who coincidentally looked a lot like me, and I showed him a collection of simple craft demos, one of which was a paint technique that he really liked. I had a piece of hardboard that I glued small cubes of sponge to. I did a fast, crude painting of a lemon and a single leaf on a piece of plastic, stamped the board, and when applied to a piece of paper, it produced a lovely mosaic effect of a lemon. Connor loved it, and this was to be the first of my demos. I knew nothing of the modern version of the Gen game at this point. See, I I still don't. Right. 
As an adult, I generally avoided Saturday night TV like the plague, but it was only when the contract was mailed for me to sign that my heart sank, as it said, Jim Davidson's Generation Game. And with another massively misguided chant, how bad can he be? (laughs) I signed. Arriving at the then BBC in West London was a bit like going to Willy Wonka's factory. I found Connor and we headed to the rehearsal room. He explained with a chuckle that we had the whole day to rehearse my paint effect, but obviously we don't need the whole day. I had practised the lemon a few times and brought my prototype board with me wrapped in a bin liner. He went on to say that the following day a car would collect me from the hotel and we would spend the day doing a full run through of the show and in the evening we would film in front of an audience. We found our rehearsal room, I met the executive producer and everyone was smiling and excited. Connor popped off to get coffees leaving me alone and feeling maybe this was all going to be okay. While waiting for Connor to return, I saw two curious structures parked in the middle of the room. One was like a wall on wheels, the other a ramp. Both were painted white and the wall had a ledge towards the bottom. My curiosity peaked further when I noticed the floor on the floor was what looked like a sizable pile of thin foam crash mats. I looked at the reverse side of the top of one and a jolt of horror shot through me. The foam had a grid cut into them, which looked like it had been geometrically cut with a laser of some sort. This foam piece, which I could only just about pick up with my arms fully extended, was my TV mosaic paint effect stamping board. My lemon had been supersized. Connor returned, still all perking upbeat. Ah, you found the boards. Great stuff. What it is, Lee, we thought it'd be really fun to do your great idea, but to make it really funny to do it on a massive scale... I looked blank and nervous, darting a sad glance at my board, which was approximately the side of a newspaper hiding in the bin liner, as if to say, you're on your own now, matey. Connor started to unpack the paints. Where's the yellow? I meekly asked. Ah, change of plan. We want you to paint a peacock, he said, whilst arranging the peacocky colours in order. I suddenly couldn't even think of what a peacock looked like, let alone paint one. Don't be worried, mate, Connor reassured, beaming with positive energy and smiles. We had the whole day to get this right. Well, we did indeed have the whole day, but we never got it right, Uh, not once. uh Part of the problem was you needed an even pressure on the board to stamp the paint. The only way to do this was to physically lie on the back of the foam, literally throw yourself on it. Jim Davidson later joked, Oily, don't shag the props, when I did this. Plus, the painting was so large, the only way to get anything that vaguely looked like anything in under a minute was to squirt the paint directly from the bottle. About lunchtime, when it was clear a peacock was literally impossible to produce, Connor decided a chicken painted in profile would be an easier shape to paint. I painted that chicken at least 30 times and not once did the finished mosaic effect look anything other than a total supersized dog's dinner. Connor went from perky and upbeat to slowly dark and gothic like a troubled veteran of war and started to mutter aloud his internal dialogue. This has got to work, but it's not working, but it has to. Where the executive producer had been breezing into the rehearsal space in the morning, all clipboard, coffee and laughs, as the day wore on, she just started to stick her head through the door, ordering to talk with Connor in the corridor where I could hear hushed, urgent, angry exchanges. Connor would return, still looking like me, but a version with no blood in his head. (laughs) Connor's final tiny flicker of optimism was offered right at the end of the day when he delivered in weary monotone. These things have a habit of going well when you get in front of an audience. I wonder if this epically misguided comment is offered in erectile dysfunction clinics. (laughs) (laughs) 
try doing it in front of hundreds of people? I mean, when in the history of anything has the addition of a massive audience helped? I called my sister from the hotel who was coming to watch the following day to offer support. I say offer support. Her brother was about to create the biggest poo storm ever on Saturday night, peak time television. She was not about to miss this. Apparently, the night before Charles and Di's wedding, Diana called her sister saying, this is a massive mistake, I can't do it. And her sister said, Di, you're on a tea town now, you just have to get on with it. (laughs) My sister offered some similarly brutal advice. The contract was signed. This time tomorrow, it'll all be over. And who even watches the BBC anyway? (laughs) I arrived at the BBC the following day and was met by a noticeably frosty Connor. He showed me to my dressing room. He said I was to be called to the makeup room before the rehearsal and to sit tight. I sat in a porridge-coloured, windowless room for hours, feverishly dreading my fate. Eventually, a runner came and led me to the makeup room, which was actually a curtained-off area next to the stage. She pointed at a gap in the curtain and told me to head in and take a seat. One side of the room was well lit with the makeup, mirrored lights, and some people were sat in a darker area on some sofas. I walked towards the mirror where a blonde woman was sitting. The woman was Barbara Windsor. She looked at me, unsmiling, and immediately barked, Can you go and get me a glass of champagne? (laughs) I looked a bit stunned and said nothing. If they haven't got champagne, I will have white wine, but not in a plastic cup. I had no idea how to respond, so I turned on my heels to search for someone who could help. Halfway down the corridor, I met the makeup artist. Are you Lee? She asked. Yes, I replied. Where the heck are you going? Barbara Windsor asked me to get a champagne, I said. Words I thought would never get an airing. Well, she snapped, that's not your bloody job. Go back in there and don't wander off. I headed back and was delighted to see Barbara had now gone. So I took her chair and waited. No sooner had I sat down, Barbara reappears and is open mouthed with fury that not only had I not got her drink, but I was now seated in her chair. She slowly pulled up a chair next to me and glared at me in the mirror we were both facing. To avoid Barbara's death stare, I adopted the port protocol and locked my gaze on the monitor and watched the show's rehearsal. On the screen was some sort of exercise demo. The hilarious climax was when Mr Blobby came on with a headband and boxing gloves and manhandled the contestants in a play fight. I noticed Connor was the stand-in for the contestant in this section and saw him playfully tussle with Mr Blobby, pretending to punch him, possibly visualising Mr Blobby was me. (laughs) The section came to an end and I continued to watch the screen when the curtain behind us was dramatically thrown back and a very hot and bothered man stormed in, looking furious. He saw me and marched in my direction. I then noticed he had Mr Blobby's legs on and, curiously, what looked like a sanitary towel gaffer taped to his head. He reached me and screamed, are you happy? I was stunned to silence. Have you got any bleeping idea how bleeping disorientated that suit is? And I've clowns like you trying to smash the bleep out of me. Barbara Windsor stared at me, her jaw dropped open with an incredulous expression that said, just the hell, who the hell are you? I realised Mr Blobby thought I was Connor. I tried to offer some response and pathetically interjected, screaming with, I'm not who you think I am, mid rant. <laughs> Mr Blobby realised his mistake and started to make his issues of being abused in the suit more general, like he was just airing his grievance generally <laughs> rather than it being directed at me. My overwhelming thought throughout this hideous altercation was, why has Mr Blobby got a sanitary towel taped to his head? <laughs> Apparently he mops the sweat up. Ah. The makeup woman then comes in the room, bluntly orders Mr. Blobby to move and says to me, you don't need anything special. I'll do your makeup this evening. Take a seat. 
and moved to the sofa opposite a familiar looking man. And I noticed another man was facing the wall and appeared to be on the phone. It then occurred to me the seated man was Jimmy Hill. Can I point out this was years ago, but all these celebrities seemed like relics even then. Yes. He stared at me with a fixed smile, presumably offering silent support for being screamed at by Blobby. I know literally nothing about football and my mind went completely blank. So rather than chat, we just looked at each other, half smiling in silence. He then made a sort of comedic tutting face, raised raised his eyebrows and motioned with his big chin at the man facing the wall. I then realised he was not on the phone. The man was the actor that played Blakey on On the Buses. <laughs> and what we can hear... Is... <laughs> <laughs> an onion isn't the right analogy, but I, I don't know what the right analogy is. It just keeps revealing... Is it like a Fabergé egg? Uh, I, I, it's really something else. What we can hear is him muttering classic vintage lines like, I'll get you, butler, and get that bus out of this depot. <laughs> He's basically getting into character. And while I'm witnessing this bonkers sight, I'm getting a commentary of facial expressions from Jimmy Hill, <laughs> whose gaze I can't avoid because we're sat directly opposite from each other. A more insane and uncomfortable interaction I could not have wished for. As a final surreal flourish, someone then walks in and places the larger body part of the blobby suit upside down next to me. <laughs> Just to land this tale, the demo that night went wrong, really wrong. Possibly my worst attempt. It wasn't helped that as I tried to paint a giant chicken with squirty paint in front of hundreds of people, Jim Davison shuffled on stage on his knees doing a to lose the trek impression. <laughs> Joined by Mr Blobby wearing a beret and artist smock. As I sat in the wings waiting to award my points, I heard the floor manager announce to his audience, Lee is going to have another go and went on to lie. The studio lights had made the paint react strangely. My second humiliating tent was more terrible than the first. The man that did the demo before me, who made a mazapan snail, snail, normal size, couldn't look me in the eye. I think the element that I remember most painfully was the noise of hundreds of people going ooh excitedly when I started to peel back the foam, which changed changed to hundreds of simultaneously disapproving ooh when they saw the result. <laughs> I met my sister afterward. I don't know if you've ever had an indisputably terrible haircut. Think bubble perm with a high fringe, and even your most loved one can't offer anything positive to say. It was like that. She could see how disturbed I was, so stifled a laugh and offered, well, you didn't start crying, as the only positive. Just as we were leaving, we bumped into Jim Davison, a man I disliked before the show and now actively hated, (laughs) who rather generously said, don't worry, mate, sometimes you have to do things twice to get it right. I didn't mention I have painted that chicken over 30 times (laughs) and it's formed cousin the peacock a further 10. I never saw the show. My mate said... He would find a pub without a telly that night, the (laughs) night it was on, and we did. Recently, someone mailed me a tape of it they found. I had it turned into a digital version. And with the idea that things are never as bad as you remember, I watched it. It's a prox 25 times worse than I remember, to the point I am amazed they aired it. If I'm feeling brave, I will post a pic or a clip on Facebook. Strangely, I was booked for two shows and signed a contract as such, but I never heard from them again. I thought it was somewhat inappropriate to call and demand the contract was upheld. Oh, that's fantastic. Ooh, isn't it? I love it. At, uh, early on in the email, I thought, I'm just going to find this too depressing. There's so much about working in different bits of the media that was too 
it was just too painfully real. <laughs> but then it just kept going, giving and giving and giving. What a story. Oh, too good. Mm. Well, thank you. I mean, talk about heeding the call and yes. sending in a story. That was unbelievable. Um, and I don't want you to feel intimidated by that either. Don't. I think if I was listening to a podcast who were always saying, oh, tell us a, tell us a, a story about um, some, some excruciating moment of social awkwardness, and I heard that, Mm-mm. I'd think, oh, I'm not going to tell them about the weird thing I said to pers- the person behind the counter in the cafe the other day. It pales into insignificance. But all, you know, it's the, it's part of the rich tapestry of a drift, isn't it? Exactly. We, we need all these things. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Lee deserves his own spin-off show. <laughs> Is all I can say. Yeah. Uh, thank you. That was greatly appreciated. I'm now wondering if I can I can find that anywhere. Well, I mean, I'm sort of hoping he's going to send us a clip. Oh, please do. I know. He did send some photos. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I'll send you the photos. Great. Um, well, thank you. Uh, I mean, that was just extraordinary. And please send us your story. Doesn't have to be as big as that uh, in, in terms of the moment in your life. Something weird. That happened to you at the bus stop. Also, just as welcome, uh, you can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. Annabelle. Yes. Two words. Mm. Follow that. Well, exactly. I know. <laughs> I, I, as you know, I can't. But anyway, yeah. plow on regardless. That's my motto. Uh, ways in which I'm not a fully functioning adult. Mm. I had my second vaccination on Sunday. I'm now a double AZ gal. Double invincible. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And best of all, I didn't have to go back to that retro pharmacy where I blurted out, sorry, I thought you said, are you wearing a bell? When she said, are you Annabelle? (laughs) This time I had it done at Leisure Centre and it was a much more big scale operation with a big car park so I didn't have to cycle there, which was good. And there was a big queue. Is that why you went on your bike the first time round? What do you mean? Just because of car parking? Yeah. I I I think I said at the time that I was too scared of being able to park there. Oh, you did. Yeah, 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 you did. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. But I knew there was a big free car park. <laughs> no, 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 just a big car, but I didn't need to say free, sorry. Like a lot of people are choosing not to drive as much because of the climate, for example, or for health reasons. Well, I know. It's just because you don't like parking. I hate parking. Yeah. I hate parking. Um, there's a big queue when I ride, and there were stops along the way where I was asked for and given different bits of information. And the first one was, do you know your NHS number? No. no. Who does? It's not like your first phone number. Like, I wouldn't even recognise my NHS number in a lineup of various NHS numbers. <laughs> I haven't been asked to bring it with me and I got asked for it like I should just know it. Do you know yours? No. no. Of course you don't. Nobody does. I mean, I don't know and I'm a bit embarrassed. I don't know my national insurance number. No, I don't know mine But either. why can't they just be the same thing? Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, that was the first stop. And then there was the checking for the COVID symptoms checkpoint. And then I was in the building and just had to wait my turn. And like last time, I got a bit emotional again about all the amazing people behind it all. Yeah, Not just the scientists, but the volunteers making it all run smoothly. And it was a really hot day and they could have been out having a nice time. But they were there asking hundreds of people their NHS number and getting (laughs) hundreds of no. Why would I know that? And I know that some of the actual vaccinators are volunteers too, because do you remember I got an email about, about becoming one? Yes. And I laughed about how terrified I'd be if I showed up and it was me about to give it to <laughs> yes, me. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't even do biology GCSE. I did chemistry and got a dean. But my friend actually did do, she did become a vaccinator and do get a lot of training. 
So anyway, I'm feeling emotional. I'm welling up slightly, although the welling up does abate a bit when I notice that one of the volunteers has his flies done undone very visibly. <laughs> but obviously there's no way I'm going to tell him in a million years. Do you think it was a choice he made? I hope not. I truly hope not. And then it's my turn and I'm a mixture of excited, emotional and grateful. And I go into a little makeshift booth and I'm getting the vibe that my vaccinator is also a volunteer because she seems a little ill at ease with it all. Right. And when it comes to giving me the vaccine, a lady with a lanyard comes to check the syringe first. There are, there are a few few little signs here. And then she asked me, what arm I want it in? And I'd thought about this in advance because I prepare for everything in advance. And I'd gone for right this time because ah. it was left last time. And I wanted to be fair because right, <laughs> left's had your turn. It's right's turn now. So I said right arm. And then I got paranoid that the way the chairs were, right would be a bit more inconvenient for her. And I aired this paranoia, but she was telling me it's fine and to shift back in the, je- the chair. But because I was already trying to get in a position for her to do my left arm, there was what I can only describe as a, as a slight kerfuffle during which, and I don't even know how it happened, she stabbed one of my fingers with the vaccine needle. What? I know. What? I know. I say stab, it was more of a light puncture. And she said, oh, did I puncture you? And what I should have said was, oh, you did actually, yeah, because she might need to get a new needle. Maybe there was now an infection risk. Maybe it blunts the needle and makes it more painful or worse still, less effective. But because I'm so obsessed by not inconveniencing her, I say, no, it's fine. And then when I left, I was asked to do a survey and I gave everyone the very top scores in everything. And then I got back to my car and I saw my finger was bleeding. Anyway, I'm seeing it as my magic COVID finger now, my most immune body part. Sorry, I can't come to your wedding, but my finger can. I'll just poke it through the door, (laughs) that kind of thing. And then I got home and I told Tom his reaction. He said, only you. (laughs) (laughs) Only you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. have an old friend here to stay really what do you mean that cold sore oh it's back the one your mother-in-law gave you on your wedding day that's the one yeah oh. yeah yeah she get she came towards me lumbered towards me to give me a kiss with a weeping cold sore saying don't worry it's not infectious <laughs> obviously was and here it is whether i'm a bit tired run down or sometimes seemingly randomly it, it comes back and it's here at the moment there is one thing I quite like about it. Oh, yeah. Can't kiss my wife on the mouth. That's a good thing. Well, I, I can understand it isn't, but it also feels a bit like the film Pretty Woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> right, okay. A little bit. Yeah, Not really. I don't know. Not really. I like thinking about that film, though. Do you? Just generally, just just that. So I, 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 I don't know. I don't know that world. I don't know that life. But... I think there's other things more in- intimate than kissing someone <laughs> on the mouth. That, this is just my feeling on it. Yeah. I also, how, how recently have you seen that film? Oh, God, like 
30 years ago. When I've talked about this before, I'm sure. But the fact that it's thought of as this great rom-com mm. and there's this scene where Richard Gere's character, Edward, he has has met and spent a bit of time with Julia Roberts's character, Vivian, who's a, a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And he then decides that he would like her to spend a full week with him and asks her what her price would be. Mm-hmm. It's important bearing in mind that she works the streets in this film mm-hmm. and he's a billionaire. He negotiates her down. That's how he became a billionaire, isn't it? That's how he became it. <laughs> but Terrible. I, we're supposed to like this man. I know. Well, are we? And we? Well, I think we are. I mean, we're rooting for them as a couple is the yeah, idea of this true, film. True, but don't we... And, st- and we're part, part of it is we're supposed to think he's this brilliant, focused businessman. Right. When in actual fact, we see a man for whom, however many hundred or... You know, I don't know if it's a few hundred or a couple of thousand pounds or whatever it would be. It, w- it would be a meaningless amount of money to him. It would literally not affect his ability to live his life at all. But we see that he needs to get one over on the impoverished sex worker <laughs> to feel powerful yeah, it doesn't and in control. Him. Yeah. Doesn't paint him in great light, does it? I was like when people, uh, when, when the rumours go around that, they're going to make a sequel to that film. But how? Well, I think a reboot... Um, I think a reboot probably doesn't belong in the middle age, in, no. in the modern age, I should say. But no, no. there's always this suggestion that you'd revisit those two characters. And I think if you wanted to keep the original premise in there somehow, hmm. how does it not get very bleak very quickly? Well, what are you imagining? What like, I don't know. Has she become very successful and, and now he is, he's reduced to being some kind of gigolo? <laughs> All right, some reversal of fortunes. Yeah. Have they had a child who's now working the streets? Oh, I mean, you're getting, these are interesting ideas. I'd watch I don't those. know, but I think it makes it a shade darker than the uh, ah, the original film, which yeah. is thought of as a feel-good rom-com. It wasn't it? A very strange, very strange. <laughs> so strange. So strange. Yeah. <laughs> Different times. Um what else was I going to tell you about? I got a couple of driftery things. Um, number one, a friend of mine who is famous texts me a few days ago and says, Jeff, do you know? He then includes the name of another famous person uh, and continues. I've just been watching this show of his for research. I really like it, and I'd love to get in touch with him to tell him how much I enjoyed it. Now, famous person number two isn't somebody I know. Right. However, a very good friend of mine lives next door to them and is somewhat friendly with them. Okay. Now, just to be clear here, if my brother had got in touch and said, do you know famous person number two? Mm. I want to get in touch with him. Mm. I would have just replied, no. <laughs> but having seen the strange world in which famous people live, mm. it seems to me that they are very used to getting in touch with each other when they don't know each other and having interactions, even though there's no personal relationship there. They've got something in common. Yeah. yeah. So whereas it would feel strange to text my friend and say, Hey, my brother wants to get in touch with famous person number two. Can you tell me how he'd go about doing that? Yeah, yeah, okay. It yeah. doesn't feel strange to say famous person number one wants to get in touch with famous person number two. Mm-hmm. 
which is what I do. Right. I send my friend a text saying, hey, um, famous person number one contacted me. Um, he'd really like to get in touch with famous person number two. He'd seen this show of his and wanted to say how great he thought it was. What's the best way of him doing it? My friend replies, mm. has he tried Twitter? Right. That's that's quite dismissive, isn't it? So I feel what that now does is puts me in a really awkward com- awkward position. Mm, mm. Because I am put in a position where the information I need to convey to famous person number one is I contacted my friend who knows the person <laughs> you're trying to get in touch with, who in this particular scenario is acting as some kind of gatekeeper. Mm. He doesn't feel that you're famous famous enough for him personally to involve himself and pass the message on mm. and has suggested that you try a public-facing social media. Mm, mm, mm. So what happened next? Port protocol. I didn't text my friend back and pretended like it had never happened. Really? What would you do? But were you thinking that your friend was going to go and put a note under the door because they're the next door neighbour and say... No, I was thinking my friend would have texted famous person number two and oh, said, they... hey, um, uh, um, famous person number one is the friend of a friend. He'd like to get in touch with you. Is it OK if I give him yeah, your number? Yes, that seems fine, doesn't it? I think so. Mm. But I also have been put in the position many times as somebody with no real uh, success or notoriety of my own to speak of, but I have many friends who have become successful over the years. Mm. I often find myself in a position where people are trying to get in touch Mm. with them and I have to act as the gatekeeper, which is just like an awful Mm. position Mm. to be in. Mm. But it's usually not famous people. It's usually someone who's like, oh, I've written a musical, I'd like your friend to be in it. Oh, that's a bit trickier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're all dying to know who the famous people are, but you're not going to tell us, are you? I'll write them down for you if you like. That's no good for everyone else. Well, then... (laughs) It's it's good for me. Oh, this is bad. We'll have to stop. We'll have to stop. Okay. That's that's number two, by the way. I can't even read it. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay. I'll write down number one for you. Okay. You're going to kick yourself that you didn't guess this. That the, the gatekeeper wasn't opening that gate. I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah, me too. I think they're on a very similar path. We don't know. Yeah, that that's the other thing, yes. isn't it? Yes. It's um yeah, but the um maybe the the gate is a squeaky one. I don't I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we should leave that in? I don't know if it's a bit cruel to the listeners just having us. Mm, it's quite agonising, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm, can you be bothered to edit it? Out? <laughs> I probably can't. <laughs> The other thing I was going to mention is, did I tell you about these books that Jean has become obsessed by? I think you did, yeah, yeah. They're called Little People, Big Dreams. Yes, yes. And they're very, very simple children's biographies of people who went on to accomplish great things in life. Mm. Uh, his current obsessions are Ayrton Senna, Coco Chanel and Stevie Wonder. Nice. Uh, but he really likes the David Bowie one. I would say that is his favourite. Now, I haven't tried to impose David Bowie on him or any of these people at all, really, because I don't want to be the kind of parent who sends his kid to school in a Ramones T-shirt or tries to make his kid cool, according to some definition of cool, which is already like 30 years out of date 
in his generation. I just want him to find his own things. Mm. And these books, I think I said to you the last time, we don't even know where they came from and he's latched onto them. He really likes them and then just points to people and says, I want to know about that person, that person. So he is kind of just somewhat randomly going through this series of children's books, but then latching onto various people and David Bowie is the one. I took him for a doctor's appointment the other morning and we're in the waiting room. It's a specialist, so we're there with um, other kids and parents, basically. And to my horror... I realise that he has brought the David Bowie book with him and he wants me to read it out loud to him. Oh, and you think you're doing too try hard. <laughs> and I think any... Because pe- I know I would. Mm. If I was there in that waiting room, I would just think, oh my God, look at this awful oh. parent trying to impose his own idea of what is cool <laughs> or relevant or hip onto his child. Why can't this kid just be a kid <laughs> and read a kid's book? <laughs> Instead of reading about David Bowie. So I have to do the almost impossible task of reading this book whilst with my face being a little bit of a Judas and betraying the book and how special it is to Jean and how much I like reading it oh. to the other parents with eye rolling. No. Yeah. So they didn't want them to think I'm that kind of parent. Yeah. Do you think it was effective? No, I think I might as well have just said, when he went, oh, I love that book, Daddy. I could have just said, I love it too. I'll be honest, it's not a book I would have chosen for you because I think there's a little bit of pretentiousness to a five-year-old reading about David Bowie. But since it's one you've chosen yourself, I'm happy to sit here and read it. And what a great story. You should have done that. Definitely should have done that. Right, Quandary Corner at the Glap Clinic here in Problematic. First one's from Amy. I've had the same hairdresser since 2016, having been recommended her by a friend. She is a great hairdresser and together we have survived lots of awkward so fars. Such as the so t- fars? Faux pas, sorry. <laughs> lots of awkward faux pas. Such as <laughs> the time I made a rubbish joke about baby shadows who still live with their parents and she gently reminded me that she lived with her mum. <sighs> She lets me book appointments via text, so I don't have to find the courage to make a phone call, and she's happy to do most of the talking. Best of all, the salon she worked in has massage chairs while you're having your hair washed and provides free filter coffee and big cups with a lotus biscuit on the side. Mm. Having my hair cut became a luxurious experience for me, one I actually look forward to. This brings me on to my dilemma. Last summer, in a lull between lockdowns, my hairdresser texted to say she had left the salon and was looking for another one, but until then she was doing home visits. The idea of her coming into my house to do my hair was not something I relished, but I went along with it as it would be a temporary thing. I had one home haircut before we went back into lockdown, and it wasn't great. My dining chairs have a high back, so I had to sit on an uncomfortable folding garden chair so that my hairdresser could get to my head. And I had to wash my own hair over the side of the bath before she arrived. No more massage chairs for me. I also live in a 1930s house that wasn't designed for modern living, so there are hardly any plug sockets, meaning I had to drape an extension cable across my sofa for the hairdryer and straighteners. The hairdresser put down a mat to catch the hair, but one of my cats ran through it while she was cutting and sent the hair flying everywhere. The hairdresser offered to clear it up, but it felt weird to make someone else use my hoover in my house, so I told her not to worry and did it myself after she left. I brushed this all off as a one-time experience and looked forward to my hairdresser's new salon. 
However, when I texted her last week to book an appointment, she told me she's still doing home visits and didn't say anything about when she might be going back to a salon. Reading between the lines, I think she prefers doing home visits, as although she has dropped her prices a bit, she doesn't have to pay chair hire, so it's probably taking home more of the money and she can be more flexible about her hours. I don't want to lose my brilliant hairdresser, but I really miss the salon experience, especially as I've been working from home since March 2020. So having my hair cut home feels way too claustrophobic. Should I stick with her and forego the massage chairs, nice coffee and lotus biscuits and an excuse to get out of the house? Or should I abandon a hairdresser I get on with and go back to the salon where I run the risk of being allocated a super chatty hairdresser who won't understand my social awkwardness? Or my third option, let my hair grow ridiculously long and avoid hairdressers altogether. What do you think? Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? If you lived with your mum, you could just say, oh, my mum started feeling uncomfortable about the Delta wave and she doesn't want other people in the house. uh, But you think it's babyish, so you're not. (laughs) Yeah, don't really hoist by your own petard there. Yes. Um, If it was just that she was a really good hairdresser in terms of skills, I would say, depending on what haircut you've got, they can be a much of a mushness, really. Like, if your hair is just like mine, for example, like one length, few layers, like there's not much that can go wrong, really. Depends how elaborate your hair is, I don't know. This is the thing, like everybody's walking around like, I don't know, they're Rachel in Friends and only one person can do the perfect version of that cut. A lot of people can do that haircut, let me tell you. Most, yeah. most, in fact. There is every, uh, as alluded to in, email, in Lee's email before, like every now and again, somebody will get a terrible haircut. Yes. But aside from that... Some are a bit too scissor happy, take too more, more, more than Every that. now and again, here's the thing. Every now and again, somebody gets a terrible haircut. And every now and again, somebody gets a haircut that just completely transforms them transform them and you're like oh my god that's amazing that's how you should have it from now on mm. but it's not just that the issue is that she liked the luck she liked the luxury this yeah, no this and is she what, liked this the lack what, of this is what she, i'm saying they were getting on this yeah. this woman is not magic no no it's, that's she can't do something that other people can't do mm. and if part of the reason you're going to her is because you feel like she's magic it's because the experience feels good to you part of that is the ease of social interaction, I'm guessing. Mm. And now she's made it difficult. It's quite so hard you need to, to cut loose and move on. And But you have to kiss a few frogs probably. Mm-hmm. Now, not necessarily in terms of your haircut, which will probably at worst just be fine, possibly better. If you take a picture of yourself when you last had it cut. They can usually do it exactly the same. Just say, I was just like, just can you see what my hair looks like now? Do it this, but a bit shorter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but how does she? How does she break the news to the? Oh, you don't. Edge? You don't. You just never text her. You just ghost them. Yeah. Well, you don't even ghost them. Mm. So this woman's not initiating, saying it's about time for you. It's not like <laughs> when you get a text from the dentist saying it's about time for your latest yeah. checkup. But then if she does, like after a few months, say, "Oh, you, you is it okay for her to say I just really enjoyed the salon experience?" Or is that offensive? Like, what do yeah, you no, say? Yeah, that's offensive. So what do you say? You don't just... say what you think. Oh, right. Sorry. What do you do then? Why oh, I you... know what I would do. I'd say, what? I texted you three times. You never got back to me. I'd lie. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, she said, oh, let me look at your phone to check that you got the right. Show me the texts. I'll, I'll check. Did they go through as blue? Did you? What if she's used to using WhatsApp? I mean, I'll, I'll have a look at your text history. Hey, then she'd look at it and she'd go, oh, 
it, it wasn't delivered. I can't believe it. It is not delivered. Is that, is that good? No, but then what, she said, oh, show me. Well, no, but they, they, oh, they're, they're not doing, in the same no, room. in the same room. And then you have to say, oh, sorry, something very weird happened. My phone just died. I'll have to get a new one. <laughs> I had to text somebody today. Yeah. It turned out for the first time since 2011. Oh, wow. And I hadn't replied to their previous text. Oh, God, 10 years. Yeah. Did you did you refer back to it? No, but I really felt... Because I don't know. So I, I never delete a message. So I can see, like, the history of all my conversations. But I don't know how normal that is or isn't. I think maybe more efficient people delete messages and they don't keep the chains. Every time I get a new phone, it does it for me. Really? Yeah. Well, hopefully, same for her. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I did feel like starting with... Uh, Oh, sorry, I was going through a bit of tumultuous time when you sent your last message. Um, so I've just seen that I didn't reply to it. Oh, yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah, but it was in 2011, so it would have been a bit weird. Mm. This past decade's not been great for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I still didn't reply yeah. to you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, have we answered that kind of? Not really. Hang on. It's, it's I tricky. said, get your hair, like, just get your hair cut by somebody else. Part of the reason you like this hairdresser is it's an easy social interaction and she's made it difficult, so you need to cut loose. Yeah. Are you friends with her on Facebook or Instagram? Can you stalk her in some way to see that if she does end up back in a salon? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's difficult. It's very tricky. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure we can. anyone can ever fully answer this question for you, and I'm sorry. I'm going to move on to... How do I pronounce this name? It's spelled M-A-I-R. Mare. Yeah. Mare. Lovely. I have just been sitting on the sofa watching some adorable fox cubs in the garden of our ground floor flat. I should mention this is our private garden, not a shared one. They are creating a bit of a nuisance digging up my seeds, but I forgive them as they are so sweet. I even put out a bowl of water for them. Then, from above my window, comes flying down several scraps of chicken. I'm baffled at first, but quickly realise it must be one of our upstairs neighbours throwing bits down for the foxes. I'm not sure if in context this sounds like a nice thing to do, but essentially they are throwing meat into someone's garden. Mm. Is this normal? My boyfriend and I are vegetarian and vegan, and now the foxes are gone and there is chicken on the floor. It's in small pieces, but still. I don't mind feeding the foxes, but it feels like a line has been crossed. There are two upstairs neighbours who could have done it, and I don't have a relationship with either of them, as we're only living here short term. What should I do? You need to cover the garden with those nets like you get an aviary. <laughs> like an aviary style so it ceiling. It catches the yeah. Uh, chicken. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everything for me was in the last two words of that, short term. Just swallow it and then you not the chicken, obviously. Yeah. No, 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 no. So you don't want to collect it and then go knocking on the doors. What I'm confused about is that these fox cubs are leaving the chicken. Yes, these, and, and other they'll creatures. Be they'll, be, they'll be back. Yeah. It's the poo that would bother me, but anyway... But we share we share the earth with these creatures. No, no. They don't like what don't. we've done. We make the planet worse for them. Okay. An imperfect <laughs> compared to what the animals go through with their habitats, Annabelle. I can I can deal with a bit of poo. Before we started recording tonight, I was talking to you a lot about animal habitats and now listen mm. at you, you don't care. I think for me I've just got this very fair memory of when I one day I left Rusty's dog food bowl on the doorstep. And the fox did a poo in the bowl. And it was at such an angle, it would have been extremely tricky for him to do it. Extremely tricky. And I felt like it was a real spite poo. Mm, we've all done them. <laughs> did, you send it, did you send it to the lab? Did you check it was a fox poo? <laughs> it was fox poo. Anyway, uh, I think the net is probably the best suggestion. If that's not technically viable, I would, uh, 
I would just realise you're only going to be here for a bit. I think that's it. There's no way of there's no way of anonymously oh, you could, dealing with the situation. You could um, put a few notes to the door saying, oh, I, we're having, having a terrible problem with rats at the moment. And so can everyone be careful to put the lids on their bins? That might be a good hint. Oh, I think it's a bit too obscure. I, I like it. Thanks. I like it. I thanks. like it a lot. Thanks, thanks. Um, maybe rats in the garden? Mm, that's what I mean, yeah. It's, no, it's attracting saying, yeah, rats. Yeah, yeah. I keep seeing uh, rats in the garden. We've had a couple in there. Maybe, yeah, that, that could be it. It's, yeah. worth, it's worth considering yeah, anyway. Yeah. I hope some of that's helpful. Could you keep the lid on the bins and mm. please not throw bits of carcass out of your window? Mm. Difficult, though. You could... Um... <laughs> Go on. No, it's, it's, it's not such a good idea, but I just had a very strong visual image of getting a net with a very long pole mm. and... Take a day off work, mm-hmm. sit by the window with the net. When you hear any kind of like rusting above, like it's about to happen, push it out and catch it in the net. And that would be a great hint that you don't want them to do it. I think I like, I like what you're going for. I mm. think you're overestimating the hearing mm. that they would be able to not only hear people preparing to throw a piece of chicken, <laughs> but be able to identify it as, as that particular thing. Yeah, and then catching it. And then, yeah, they're the catching it. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a bit easier than putting a whole net across the garden, but actually I think I'm wrong no, about no, that. the aviary roof. There yes. we go. There's your okay. answer. Okay. And that was our podcast. Thank you to you for listening. If you have a uh, a quandary for Quandary Corner or if you have a story of a moment of crippling social anxiety, then please email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thanks to Man in the Echo for the backing music and to Emily Harrison for the incidental music. Carla Gowlett took our photos. Kim Rainey designed our artwork. And I just wanted to say, if Louise Bradley is listening... And wants to reenact that three-legged race in a COVID-safe environment while my mum is still with us and, and could witness the triumph. I uh, I would be hugely open to the idea and very keen to, to make that happen. Oh, I've just seen who the podication is from. It is from our friend, Jack McMorrow, who says, Now then, it's my birthday on the 17th of June. I'll still be on furlough on that day. However, I deeply believe that birthdays simply don't count on furlough. So I'm still 21. Yep, 21. Uh, Anyway, with uh, the possibility of the exception of cinema customers who say, you too. When I say enjoy your film, I did that earlier on. I did a, a you too to somebody. Terrible. The the situation too specific for me to to get into it, but it happens to me with some frequency. Um, I'd like to request a publication for literally everyone as close to my birthday as possible. I'm so bored. I worked out when each podcast I listen to is out. 
and I believe that you were the nearest to my birthday, which is June the 16th. Um, thank you for being the podcast, which I tend to listen to at my gym. Uh, we are, we're day before, day, day before, before Jack's birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Oh. Happy 21st. I really wish Jack's cinema would reopen. Mm. It's great. So it's nice to see. Jack, Jack works at a cinema close to me, which is, isn't the one we go to the most, but um, I always enjoy seeing his face. When I go there, old Jack McMorrow. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, let me find uh, My bathroom scales say I am two stone nine. I'm not sure about this, but I doubt it. <laughs> it, it sounds unlikely. Extremely. I mean, I'm not even a great one for imperial, imperial measurements, but even I know that is wrong. Mm, it's wrong. Sorry. Yeah, it's definitely wrong. Yeah, Jack, I'm, I'm sure he's really... Uh, I think even if you have taken advantage of the gym mm. during your furlough not necessarily in a in a um a muscle building way but perhaps in a cardiovascular way i, I think two stone now nine seems implausible <laughs> it does, yeah. for a human man yeah, for an adult yeah um oh jack i hope you have a I hope you have an all right birthday i know yeah. uh from um i never know if it's twitter or previous email that jack has really had a bit of the wanderlust and has had some travel plans scuppered by mm. all of this, which, mm. of course, you know, no, nobody is saying that's the, the worst thing that uh, can happen or has happened through all of this, and we've got to stay safe and stay vigilant. But I know, uh, I know these are things that people look forward to, so I hope you get to do that soon. I hope your birthday is as, as, uh, as enjoyable as it can be on furlough. Don't work yourself too hard in the gym. Unless that is something that brings you to joy, a, a true joy. Yeah. I can't imagine that it does. It. But because um, th- that's just me, you see. I find it difficult to understand that anybody derives any pleasure from that. But um, you do you, Jack. Jack McMorrow. What a guy. So there we go. Uh, latest edition of the podcast, podicated to Jack McMorrow. And if you would like a podication, email us. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.